Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I'm just going to jump right, right in it. In John 10, in verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrificed my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my father commanded. And I think I gave them the wrong version there, so it might have looked a little bit different. But what I want to really focus on in this scripture is this point where he says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. And this wasn't Herod's plan. This wasn't anybody's plan that, that is on this earth, that, that man created this scenario. This was God's plan. This was his plan before this earth was even created, this was a plan from the beginning. He knew that we were going to need saving. It wasn't forced on him. It wasn't something that, that he was subject to that just happened to him, but it was what he had planned all along and what he wanted. And I think in, in, the, in Matthew, and when they're coming to get him and, and one of his disciples chopped off the ear of one of the servants and, and he says, do you not know that if I wanted to, what are you doing? Do you not know that I could actually pray and ask God to send 12 legions of angels and he would do it? I'm not in need of your saving. You're in need of mine. He'd say, I'm not trapped in this. Right? Because that's what they were thinking in that moment. We got to get him out of here. He's trapped. And it reminds me of this, this story, this, I think, funny story. Hopefully, you will too. But, um, when we were in ministry school in Los Angeles, and we were carpooling all the time, you know, because, like, we didn't have any money, and we're all, you know, students and all this stuff, and so just piling people in cars, and so we were riding to, to where we were going uh, for class, and, and we're getting out of the cars, and <laughs> you have to understand, you know, there were not against football players or baseball players or whatever. There were a lot of 
jocks there, right? And everybody likes to say, you know, those type A personalities, like, I'm so cool, all this stuff. I didn't fit in really well because, well, you know. <laughs> I know you thought I was a jock, but. <laughs> but they all love to say champ and, oh, hero and, oh, yeah, champ. What's up, champ? How you doing? Oh, it was just nonstop. Like, it was one of those every other word was champ or hero or faith or something like that. But just this moment stuck in our minds, and we joke around about it all the time. And we're getting out of this car, and the person that was driving just hops out, and, and we're, everybody's hopping out of cars, and the, the guy in the back was sitting there, and they had the child locks on, and the doors were not unlocked. And he says, champ trapped. Champ trapped. And he's just sitting there saying, champ trapped. And so, somehow, every time the door is locked, we say that in our household. It's like champ trapped to joke around. And I say that story to, to, because like so many times I feel like we think that somehow he was trapped in this scenario. That, that he was subject to the, to the driver, Right? to the person holding the keys of the car, that they had to unlock the car for him to get out. But that's not, that's not what this is. See, he's not subject to anything, or it wasn't somebody else's plan, or this thing that happened to him that he didn't know about. No, he's the one that holds the keys. He's the one that had the plan. This was his doing. And in our lives, so many times I feel like that's the way things play out is, is how that story went, where we feel like he's subject to what's going on in our lives, or the issues, the grief, the pain, that somehow he's stuck in there. But he says, no, 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 I'm the one that holds the keys, I'm the one that had the plan. I'm the one that has the victory over these things. I mean, he gets it. The problem is, you know, like that moment of cutting off that ear, I, we don't get it. That we don't see it. That maybe we think that he needs saving or, or we think that he can't do it. But he says, this is what I want to do. This is what I am doing. We may be subject to someone letting us out of the car, but he isn't. We may be, may be subject to somebody else's plan, especially and definitely God's plan. We are subject to that plan, but he is the writer of the plan. And in this moment when we celebrate Easter, I, I just, I felt like this thing to just implore and, and beg and plead and say, understand what this moment means that we are celebrating, right? It's not about Easter eggs. It's about a cross. 
It's about a God who loves us, who loved us so much, so much, that he endured that cross for us. And he did this. He did this of his own free will. Because he loved us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While, while we were, and, and, and that's the thing that really, for me, I, I don't know about you, but it, it blows my mind. And something that we have to work through that he would love us so much, like unfathomable love. This love that only he can have because it's in its truest, purest sense for us. Not because we were doing good, but while we were sinners. While I was still a mess and a sinner, which is now really, you know, if you're hearing Pastor Rick preach a few weeks ago, he said we're all a mess, right? We're all a mess. But while we were still sinners, see, that's how much he loved us. Not because we did good, but because he wanted us to do good. Because he loved us so much. In Romans 5, 6, it says, For when we were still without strength. Wow. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is a couple of things here that it says is, it says while we were still without strength, we have to understand that it is not by our strength. It's not something that we've done, and I've, I've got no strength in me. You know, man, I like to think I'm strong. But when it comes to God, I have no strength. When it comes to my relationship with Him, I have nothing. And He says, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And this statement here, you know, this statement is used many times to bring judgment on people that are ungodly. And if we understand that that was me and I could have received that judgment from him because I was the ungodly person and I didn't have the strength and I didn't know how to do it on my own. But in due, in due time, He died for each and every one of us. That's what we're here to celebrate. And in verse 7, Romans 5, 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love 
toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's saying here, he's like, look, somebody's probably not going to die for someone that they don't think is worthy. But maybe if you think somebody's a really good person or they've done lots of great things or they've been really nice to you, maybe you would give your life for them. Maybe you would step in front of that bullet. But even at that, that's not even the love that God showed to us because it says by his own love, not by some love that we could even come to even compare ourselves to by his own love toward us while we were still sinners, he died for us. Because he loved us that much. Now, I don't know who in here needs to hear that besides me. But that's how much he loves you. He loves you that much. You say, how much? That much. That no matter what you've done or what you've been through or what's happened to you or where you're at, even at this moment, that he loves you so much that he, with his own love, that he died on the cross for you, just for you. He saw you. And he says, I need to do something for, for you. Because I love you that much. And Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In this scripture, it says, it, it says looking unto Jesus, and this word, it, it, it's, you know... It's not just a looking, if you, if you read into this in the Greek, it's not just a, a looking at Jesus. It implies a turning away from everything else, of shunning, looking toward anything else that could draw your, your gaze away from Him. Looking unto Jesus, look to Him. Turn away from everything else that you could possibly be looking to for, for love or affection or satisfaction, or, or acceptance, and look to Him. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Fix not thy gaze upon the cloud of witnesses, they will hinder thee if they, if they take away thine eye from Jesus. Look not on the weights and the besetting sin thou hast laid aside, that sin and that stuff that even you're, you're laying aside, turn away from that. Don't even look at it. Just forget it. 
Look away from them. Do not even look upon the race course or the competitors, but look to Jesus and so start in the race. I love this. It's, it's taking that, what I just said, and, and just saying, don't, don't look to anything. Don't look to the sin that, that he's saving you from. Look away from it and look at it no longer, never again. It's in past. Don't even look at the competitors, anybody to the right or to the left. Don't even look at the, you know, you don't tell this to, to racers usually. Don't look at the race course. You're going to be going all kinds of ways. But in this scenario, in this race of, of our walk with God, the race course doesn't matter. Only our gaze upon Him and looking to Him matters. Because if we're following Him and looking at Him, we're always going to be on the right course. It says, so look to Him and start the race. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. Now Jesus didn't necessarily consider the cross a joy, but what it's saying is the joy that was set before him. What's, what's that joy? That he endured the cross. The joy is, is seeing the redemption of those that he created. Seeing the redemption of the world that he spoke into existence. To see you and I come to know him in a personal, relational way that we hadn't been able to do before the cross. There was so much beyond the cross that he looked toward to see what he was doing in that moment. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that we would be able to come to a place of relationship with Him, that we would be redeemed and restored, that we would be able to let go of sin and shame. That was the joy that was set before Him. So He endured the cross, despising the shame. Dis despising the shame. I love this. He didn't just endure the shame. He despised it. He wasn't, again, he wasn't subject to this. He did it. It was his plan. And there was ridicule involved in it. There was being beaten and bloodied and hung on a cross. And it says... He despised. I love it. I, I imagine in that moment, he's giving himself for us and allowing these things to happen. But the, the oh, I just, I don't know. I just imagine his attitude toward the shame, toward these things that were being hurled at him while he was allowing them to do this to him, he was like, you don't understand. I'm going to get you. Shame, you're on my list. Sin, 
you're on my list. Death, you're on my list. Right? That's what I, in that, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying I think was happening, you know. It doesn't say that specifically in the scripture, but when it says despising the shame, I am imagining him drawing up a hit list of the things that he was going to destroy. Saying, you, you, you got, you don't have much time left. And it says, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this speaks of his glorification. It speaks of, of his authority. And not exactly in the same way, but we get to be brought into that moment. Because he has been placed on the throne because he has been glorified because of the cross and what he did coming as man but fully God and and enduring life I mean look the cross was the end but he endured life too right he he was born I was talking my dad about this the other day and he's like, I mean, he had, he, he didn't say it exactly like this. This is, this is my paraphrase of what he said, but he had his butt wiped, you know, by his mama. He was a little toddler. He, he, he was a little child, a little adolescent that just, you know, running around and had to, to, to endure all these things. Being raised and going through the same moments that we've gone through in our lives. Walking as we walked so that he could come to this moment of the cross for us. Ephesians 5. Verse 1, it says, therefore, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to our God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Therefore, be imitators. See, as we see this moment, and I, my question today is, do we allow what we're doing or us celebrating today to actually change us? And really, that's my question every day for myself, and I think that we all need to ask, are we allowing the work of the cross to change us? Like, I've, I've gone through so many things. He loved us so much. And, and while we were still sinners, we, we, we couldn't make it to this place with him on our own. And so he knew that. And from the beginning of time, he planned that he would come and save us. And we've been redeemed and 
saved by him and, and because of this moment of the cross. And does my life represent the cross? Does my life represent what he has done for me, for us? Does your life walk out like you were saved by the work of Christ? And in this scripture it says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. We're children now. I see we've become heirs. When you come to know him, when you ask him into your heart, when you have this relationship with him, we're children then. Not subjects, not slaves, but heirs that we can have everything that he has. And I've said this many times before in many different messages, but I think it's just something that we don't really get if we walk, like, you know what? I don't like it when people walk like they know they're the children of somebody, you know? I, I don't, see, there's like this contradiction in my mind, I guess. And, and everything that we've done with our kids since they were little is, is to hopefully help them to not act like they're somebody or something because, you know? Because of this, because of that. But whenever I look at my Bible, I, I see that with God, He is saying, like, I want you to walk like this and like that because you are my child. And it's not a lack of humility, but it's because there is strength, because there is victory. And we can do that in a humble way, but he says, I, want, I don't want you to wake up and be like, oh, another day. He says, I, I want you to wake up and be like, today is the day. Today is the day that God has the victory because tomorrow was. Tomorrow is. Yesterday was. Anyway. Because yesterday was, tomorrow is. But that day of victory is going to be each and every day that I wake up, that he wants us to walk in the strength and the power of who he is. That is what we are celebrating. See, oh. Like I'm here to celebrate the risen Christ. The victorious Christ, the one that defeated sin and shame. The one that has victory over your everything, everything and everyone. Like, it's, it's there. But can I walk in that? Can I understand it and see it? Can I live it to live in the victory of the cross? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice. It was an offering and a sacrifice to God. 
for a sweet-smelling aroma. Because of this, will, will we, will we give our lives to Him? And I say that in many different, like, aspects or ways. But I think that's the question. Will we give our lives to Him? First, initially, to have that relationship with Him. Will we give our lives to Him in that moment? But then each and every day, waking up, will we give our lives to Him? Saying, I'm, I'm yours. I, I want to walk with you. I want to do what you want me to do. I give my life to you today. I know that you're the one that holds the keys. You're the one that's drawn up the plan. And I want to be a part of it. So I give myself to you today in this moment. Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.